Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship, where we have conversations about ministry, about missions, about leadership, about the Bible. And we do that with the intent that you'd be strengthened, edified, and be encouraged in your faith. Now, some of you may know, we also have a complimentary podcast called the PS Plus, and you see it popping up in your feed. Uh, some of you have been listening, and some of you uh, have still not had an opportunity to listen to those episodes. But the PS Plus is a show uh, hosted by my friend Van Sneed, uh, where he takes theological topics, doctrinal topics, and turns them into lively, short, bite-sized segments uh, to make it easier for us to understand them, to make them shareable. And, and it's been a great show. He's done an excellent job. Now, just recently, he's been focusing each segment on the topic of dispensationalism. What is it? And so I have him today on the show. Van is here. And uh, we're going to be discussing uh, what he's been talking about on on PS Plus. And we're going to be talking about dispensationalism. And we're going to try to summarize all of the things that he's already been talking about, but then also um, you know, discuss why it's been so important and so relevant to his own life. So Van, welcome. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you on this side. Yes, it's 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 weird, but but good, dude. You've done such a great job with the show. Thanks, man. Um, it's been so fun to like start that with you and to watch you. You know, even just in how many episodes are there now? Uh, twelve. Twelve episodes. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like you're starting to get the rhythm for it? S slowly but surely. Yeah. It 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 feels less awkward every time. I'll put it that well, way. people um all, are always saying that your voice is great. Uh, they're always talking about how funny you are. Oh man. You know? Uh they don't say any of these things about me. So um <laughs> I'm trying not to be offended by it. I'm rooting yeah. you on. You're doing awesome, man. It's, no, they've been great. And uh, I've shared tons of these episodes already with friends and um I'm, I'm thankful that you're doing it. I'm, I'm just glad it's profitable. Uh, so before we you know, get too down the line, there's a lot to say about dispensationalism. Let's just start by defining it. Will you d define for us what dispensationalism is? Yeah, sure. So, it, so it's kind of in, in two aspects. And, and the first is it's really just a systematic way of understanding the Bible by opening it up and observing kind of clear patterns in scripture. So okay. that's kind of one aspect of it. Mm -hmm. But then there's that word dispensation, which is just a period of time in which God is dispensing his grace to different people. And so both of those in combination, you'll see a pattern form in scripture where God is dealing with different people and giving grace to different people. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to distinguish and to teach on this topic because there are other perspectives mm -hmm. on how to divide scripture. And mm -hmm. some of those ideas are, are, are conflicting yes. with a compare scripture with scripture, looking for patterns in scripture type of thinking. Yes. And so dispensationalism is really important to the Living Faith Fellowship and to LFBI because it kind of sits at the center of our hermeneutic in the way that we approach the Bible. Yeah, it's it's central, it's key. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. absolutely. Uh, so with that, I wanna ask, why is it that you subscribe to this way of thinking when there's other there's other ways of looking at scripture? Why do you personally subscribe to this approach to sure. God's word? So, so you and I are actually having a conversation about this, I don't know, uh, a couple months ago. Okay. And you said dispensationalism is, is kind of the only scientific way of understanding the Bible. Mm -hmm. And my, my nerd heart started beating faster because science is great. It's mm -hmm. just a way in which we can look at data and figure out what's happening. Right. And 
with that, it's highly objective. And those things, they check all of the boxes. Mm -hmm. And so with a dispensational hermeneutic, I don't have to rely on some person to be the arbiter, the gateway of what should I do with God's word and what shouldn't I do. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a brain, a Bible, and eyes at work, so yeah. I can open it up and I can read it and I can understand for myself. Right. And when I come to that conclusion, I can check my work, so to speak, by just looking at other people that are doing the same thing and coming up with the same conclusion. Mm -hmm. so, so it's a really democratic way of understanding the Bible right. because there's no single authority but the Bible itself. Right. Yeah. And, you know, to that idea of the of the Bible being scientific, uh, you know, just briefly, other approaches to scripture mm -hmm. uh, that are less so mm -hmm. uh, lead people to draw conclusions that are much more allegorical, yeah. looser interpretations. They mm -hmm. find themselves with conflicting passages mm -hmm. and ideas that they don't know what to do with. Yeah. And so they, uh, you know, they relegate them to the unknown or mm -hmm. to the mystery or come up with some sort of loose reasoning absolutely and uh we don't have to do that yeah. uh with our approach to god's word yeah. uh, god's word gets to simply be what what it was meant to be literal yeah uh and when it's not literal it tells us that it's not being yeah. literal and things like that yeah so and, and and that's key because i mean whatever this bible says i'm gonna do like it's the word of god so i have to do it mm -hmm. so I can't leave that up to chance. Like I actually have to yeah. know what the Bible says. Yeah, it's not good enough for us to be like, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because we have to live this life in Absolutely. light of the doctrines that we believe in. Yeah. So, you know, with that, uh, can you explain to the audience how this is this is a big question mm -hmm. because you actually have spent episodes <laughs> a little bit upon episodes doing this. Yeah. Will you explain how dispensationalism functions? And by that, I mean what are its characteristics and how do how do those characteristics relate to one another sure sure so uh you know we've been talking about this pattern and this mm -hmm. pattern really is something that we see time and time again and so uh in dispensationalism in this pattern there is a steward and this is someone who god is going to delegate a task to okay and so when god does that he sets specific parameters around how that task is to be accomplished what's on limits what's off limits and that happens, it works maybe for a little bit, but then there's ultimately a failure of that steward. Mm -hmm. And there's a judgment because of that failure. And then a new steward is chosen that's given a new task. Okay. Kind of so that pattern we see. So, ba so what you're saying is that we, when we read the narrative of scripture, mm -hmm. uh, Genesis through Revelation, mm -hmm. we see this repeating cycle or this pattern mm -hmm. uh, of God setting up a steward, yeah. uh, someone who, uh, a, a figurehead, if you will, who kind of oversees or throws this dispensation into its progression, right? Mm -hmm. This yeah. this calling that's on this particular individual and this group of individuals' lives. And then we we see in this pattern over and over again that there is a there's a failure to actually accomplish what they were that God asked them to do, mm -hmm. that, that they were set out to do. And because of that, there's a judgment and then there's a reset set and it, and it happens like this over and over again. Over and over again. Seven times, yes. in fact. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so now that we've kind of established that, can you walk us through the examples? Sure. Okay, that walk us through these seven. Sure. And I'll give you some space here because this might take a minute. Sure. Walk us through these seven dispensations and explain in, in narrative form yeah. 
how each one works yeah yeah and to what end you know so uh you've got the first dispensation of innocence mm-hmm. which you'll find kind of in genesis chapters one through three and there's adam and you know he's a steward right because he's like the only he's, dude. he's the only option right that's it yeah there's just one <laughs> and so uh god gives him a task you know he gives him a garden he gives him dominion over mm-hmm. uh the whole world like he's he's ruler of the world what yeah. super villains everywhere want yeah and uh and he's given parameters, you know, you can, you can eat this, don't eat that. And of course we know how that story goes. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, uh, God says, okay, well, there's, there's going to be a judgment and their right. judgments on Adam and Eve and the serpent. And then that stewardship is removed. And- now there's also a purpose though. Mm-hmm. Like his purpose was to replenish the earth. Absolutely. Right. And so yeah. there was a task that was given to him that he was, he was supposed to steward the earth. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to replenish the earth with yeah. worshipers, of God. He was supposed to procreate to fill the earth with worshipers of God. There were parameters and in his free will, Mm -hmm. he failed to steward the way that he was asked. Yes. This was a failure that Adam had. Like Adam, he, he could have done something. He failed. He chose a different thing. And then there's a judgment, which which was the fall of man and sin entered the world. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So with that in mind, continue, continue walking us through that. Sure. Sure. So then we have, uh, the next dispensation, the dispensation, uh, of conscience and you have, uh, Genesis kind of four through eight. And this is, uh, immediately, uh, Cain and Abel, um, Mm -hmm. but his descendants as well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, there are these two brothers and and one offers a really great acceptable sacrifice and the other doesn't. And uh, he's throwing a pity party and God's like, yo, just do well. Right. Right. And uh, he does the exact opposite of well. He murders his brother yeah. like, immediately. Yeah. And that's a pattern that we see over and over again. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter six, uh, the hearts of, of men are evil continually. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear that uh, man cannot do well. Uh, has, has failed uh, in, this, in right. this task. And so there's a judgment in this worldwide flood that destroys everything but this one family, mm-hmm. the family of Noah. And so so, so we've, we've covered two dispensations now. Mm-hmm. And um, we're entering into this, this third one, mm-hmm. which, which puts who is this, the, the figurehead. So it's going to be Noah mm-hmm. and then kind of his descendants as okay. well. Yeah. So explain that to us. What's the call on that? And um, how, how was their failure? Sure. So uh, Noah gets asked to build a boat because it's going to rain. And Noah's like, that's really great. I don't quite know what that is because it's not quite done that yet. Mm-hmm. And he, in faith, he goes, all right, God. And, and he builds this, this this giant boat for over 100 years. And he's, he's faithful. And so eventually he and his family go in. The rain comes down. There's a flood. And uh, Noah and his family are saved. Mm-hmm. And when he gets out, he... You know, builds this altar and is given kind of the same commission that Adam's given to yeah. be fruitful and multiply. Yeah, they got to start over. They got to start over. Right. So let's do it right this time. Let's do it right. Yeah. And so Noah kind of has a failure in that. You know, he gets himself drunk, and uh, that's that. That's not that's not stewarding behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Bible has things to say about drunkenness, mm-hmm. but then the call to kind of spread out through the earth. Um, all the people say no. We actually want to. actually want to be together, right? And uh, this is the Tower of Babel, and they they refuse to do what God has said. God wants people to spread out through the whole earth, and and yet they are in rebellion, trying to build a tower unto heaven, yeah. trying to get to God without God, right? 
And uh, so there's a judgment even there where he scatters humanity across mm-hmm. the globe. He does get what he wants, uh, but then he also confuses their languages so that they're you know, forced to do right. what, he, what he is calling them to do. Right. So, yeah. so rather than being purposed in the agenda of God, mm-hmm. uh, they gather their resources to establish their own agenda, which was basically, if you look at it, um, the the first time we really see humanism clearly at work in a society. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so they worship. They're worshiping themselves mm-hmm. and uh, and their and their technology and their ability. You know, and uh, God doesn't like that. So no. we've seen we've seen. Okay, now we've got three dispensations under our belt. And I want to point out that the our ability to see these mm-hmm. is exceptionally important. Yeah. And the reason is because we can't compare what Adam is doing uh, to what Noah and his descendants were doing necessarily, right? We can't see them in the same light. So what it's doing us is it, for us is it's categorizing mm-hmm. what God's up to. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's... It's neat because once you start seeing it, then there's some of the more practical questions that you ask of, well, why don't I do this? Why don't I do that? Mm-hmm. And the key is- From our context in history as Christians- Correct. In 2021. Yeah. Why aren't things like what I see here or there? Absolutely. Right. And if 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 we, if we can take away, oh, something was different, God was speaking to a different person or a different group of people, and he gave them a different task, well, then it- it makes sense, mm-hmm. you know. If if you if your mom says, "Hey, Van, go to the store, Brandy, chill at home." Mm-hmm. Well, I can't get mad when my sister's chilling at home, right? Because <laughs> I got told to go to the store, right? Vice versa. Yeah, and so uh, walk us into the fourth dispensation. We'll keep moving. Sure. I'll have more questions for you after we get through them. So, what's the fourth dispensation? Yeah. So the fourth dispensation is kind of that of the patriarchs, and it, and it kicks off with Abraham in Genesis chapter twelve. And uh, Abraham uh, is given a land. He's, God tells him, I'm going to give you a land. And he also tells him he's going to have a nation that, that comes out of him. Mm-hmm. And this is when he and his wife don't have a child. And Abraham, in Genesis chapter 15, he just, he just believes God. God says, this is what's going to happen. He says, yes, great. So he's got a particular destiny. He's got a, a particular land that he needs to go out. And again, kind of goes a goes a goes astray pretty quickly in that instead of going and taking the land that he's supposed to he ends up in Egypt mm-hmm. he comes out of Egypt he eventually has those descendants and instead of them going and taking the land that they're supposed to they also end up in Egypt mm-hmm. and so again what God has said hey you I have a task for you go and do this and they say yes and then their actions say no right and 400 years later, now you have this nation, this promised nation is supposed to be dwelling in an actual literal land yeah. that's now in right. slavery in Egypt. And and the reason that this is important, because at the, at the center of this dispensation is the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah. And from the Abrahamic covenant, we get a lot of our perspective, scriptural perspectives on who the nation of Israel is supposed to be, mm-hmm. what they're supposed to do, what they're supposed to be looking for. Yeah. And, and at some level, we can always, because this is the birth of the nation of Israel, we can always watch and compare prophetically mm-hmm what what was what abraham was called to do we can compare that compare that prophetically as we move throughout time and throughout scripture absolutely yeah and so now we're at moses mm-hmm. so there's a, there's a failure to move into the land and to multiply within the land promised to the nation of israel and now we're with moses yeah so moses in uh, exodus 18 exodus 19 mm-hmm. uh, he receives the law god writes it down mm-hmm. like it's 
it's a cool story and and uh and 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 it's awesome because there's this there's this kind of scene and you see it where Moses is like, hey, this is what we're supposed to do, and you're supposed to do it with me. And the people are like, yes, we're gonna do that thing. And it's it's really exciting. And then again, almost immediately, Moses has gone too long. They're just kind of like, yo, Aaron, let's get our worship on. Yeah. And there's this party and debauchery and all sorts of stuff. Moses comes down and he's obviously not too excited. Yeah. And so then there's the the wandering of of Israel in, in the wilderness. And then they finally get into the land and they take it. And then you get to Joshua and he's like, guys, take this land. And they're like, yeah, we're going to take it. But they leave some of the folks are supposed to take out there yeah. and then through cycle and cycle and, and cycle. And all the tribes are in. No. And like what we see, like in the story, we see so many, like God's patience is really on display because we see the nation just over and over again. They're complaining, they're frustrated. We see Moses frustrated. We yeah. see Moses hits the rock, he can't go in. And they got all these things happening. And there's there's really lots of micro failures, if yes. you, you will. Yeah. Um, and then how does this culminate? So you've got the stewardship of Moses mm -hmm. and you've got the mosaic covenant, mm -hmm. which is, you know, Abraham was somewhat of a lawless nation, yeah. right? Uh, but God gives the law to Moses to instruct and to guide and to be a schoolmaster, if you will. Mm -hmm. You will. How does that stewardship? They get into the land, yeah. but how does that stewardship fail? Yeah. So, so they continually disobey God. They're rebellious, mm -hmm. and so it kind of happens in two parts because at the time at which some of that stuff starts happening, the nation of Israel is divided. You've mm -hmm. got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so in the 720s, man, Assyria comes and takes out Israel, the northern kingdom. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later in 606, Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes out Judah, the southern kingdom. And so that kind of ends their um, uh, occupancy in the land in that way yeah. and, and acts as a judgment for them. Right, mm -hmm. right. And that leads us to the next yeah. dispensation. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, grace, man. Yes. Yeah. So... Um, in the dispensation of grace, mm -hmm. um, it obviously, so we've had the schoolmaster of the law of Moses mm -hmm. and Galatians teaches us that the law was supposed to point not just the nation of Israel, but, but ultimately all of mankind yeah. to Christ, the need for a savior. Because when we compare our lives to the law, mm -hmm. we see that we fall short. Yeah. So then Christ comes Right, the one that was prophesied really through through all of those dispensations. We're hearing about this figure, mm -hmm. this son of God, this messianic figure who's going to come and deliver his people and ultimately deliver the world. So the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ kind of sits at the end of this Old Testament mosaic mm -hmm. time frame. Yeah, we don't get to lump that in. Right. Explain that real quick. Just why do we not get to lump the gospels just because it's in the New Testament yeah. with the dispensation of grace? Well, so uh, Jesus, you know, he comes as a Jewish man mm -hmm. and he's he's keeping Jewish law and he has to do that because the law has to be kept. He has to be the sacrifice that's perfect, but also uh, a testament isn't valid until the death of a testator. Mm -hmm. And so we have we have Christ who is uh, operating under an Old Testament dispensation until his death, you know, John 19.30, it is finished. And so it's at that point that a, 
that a new dispensation can begin. And so the Old Testament is in effect when we get into the New Testament, when we flip the page, but that dispensation of the law is still active because God, through Jesus Christ, he's keeping the yeah. law. Yeah. yeah. So then in, explain the age of grace, the, the time frame in which we exist, the church. We often refer to it as kind of like a, the parenthetical. Sure. Um, so explain grace in, in this age and the church age in general. Sure. And we'll, we'll break it down a little bit because there are things to know mm-hmm. about the portions of scripture that we allocate yeah. to this time frame. Yeah. There's, there's important things that we need to know, but maybe just briefly exp- explain to us the age of grace. Yeah, so... The age of grace is unique and it wasn't necessarily seen by those in the Old Testament. And that's because God oftentimes talks about things like his first coming and his second coming all in the same breath. Mm-hmm. And so what we find is that there was a period at which God could have come and established his kingdom on the earth and everything would have been good if Israel would have accepted him. Mm-hmm. But we know that there is a continual rejection. We have John the Baptist that comes and he's preparing the way for the Lord. He's saying, look, 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 this guy's coming. You've got Jesus Christ. That's yeah. Right. He's I'm, saying, I'm, I'm here now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Right? Yeah. And then eventually you have Stephen in, in acts. Right. And what happens is, is that the nation of Israel is continually rejecting their Messiah. And so God kind of presses a pause button, if you will, and says, okay, so the nation of Israel, this promised nation is not accepting my son. So I'm going to put them on pause for a second. I'm actually going to deal with the Gentiles. And he points his attention to these people that historically have not been the focus mm-hmm. of God. And that is what we know is the age of grace, a parenthetical kind of in between God, how he dealt with the Jewish nation of Israel, and then how he will deal with them in when the When he future. establishes his kingdom. Absolutely. And so one of the things that we often talk about as dispensationalists mm-hmm. is that the, the Acts of the Apostles is a transitionary book, and we ought to read it as a narrative of what's happening in this very uh, short time frame that we sometimes call the apostolic age, where Mm -hmm. the the apostles are alive. They're trying to deliver this message to the Jewish people. You see it you know, in, in Jerusalem in chapter two, and you're mm-hmm. seeing it with Peter and John, and these guys are, are trying to get the gospel to the Jews and try, right. they want them to receive it so desperately. And yet when they reject it, God opens a door to the Gentile people, mm-hmm. invites the apostle Paul into the work, and then Paul is visiting Asia Minor and into the European regions, and he's he's moving into areas that are traditionally Gentile. Yeah preaching to the Jews and to the Gentiles both, and the, the Gentiles are receiving it. Mm-hmm. And so then we've got, you know, by the time we finish the story of Acts, what we see is that that the Gentile church, um, the gen, a church that's occupied primarily by Gentile people, Jews as well, but, yeah. but, but mainly Gentiles, and that becomes that parenthetical that you're talking about. Yeah. So sorry, I didn't mean to. No, to, no, no. But it's it's incredibly important because as we're talking about this dispensational framework, mm-hmm. a large part of it is, well, how, like, how do we understand the Bible? We've mm-hmm. got a lot of books. Like, what do we do with them? And what was very helpful for me was just realizing that scripture is very clear. Paul is your apostle. Like, right. He's the guy that's laying the framework for what you will do. Mm-hmm. And so where we see Paul speak emphatically, that generally is a is, is a good line of sight for what I am to do in my right. day-to-day life. Yeah. yeah. 
Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. Mason Wilson here. I'm one of the pastors at Harvest Baptist Church in Iola, and I wanted to share with you how Living Faith Bible Institute has been an invaluable tool for my life and ministry. As a young man, I was zealous for the Lord and for His Word. And so I did what anyone would do when I had questions. I turned to the internet. But oftentimes that would leave me with more questions than answers. And it led to me doubting God's Word. And so when, when I found Living Faith Bible Institute, it was a godsend to be able to sit under like-minded pastors and leaders and learn the certainty of the words of truth. And so for that, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for Living Faith Bible Institute. If that interests you at all, please visit lfbi.org and consider enrolling in classes. So then maybe explain the relationship between what you're saying about which books apply. Uh, and then, then there's these other books in the New Testament that apply more to a Jewish context. Sure. And then how do those ideas and prophecies lead us into what we understand to be the millennium? Sure. So... When we take a look at Scripture, uh, we let Scripture define Scripture. And so God actually has three specific people groups that He identifies in Scripture, Jews, Gentile, and the church, uh, 1 Corinthians 10. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we find is that, like any uh, person, we want to understand, well, who, 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 is, who, who is this person talking to, right? Mm -hmm. So if, if you were to say, hey, well, is, is that for me? Is that for the other people in the yeah. room? I don't know. Yeah, you tell this really great story in one of the episodes where you're explaining dispensations mm -hmm. and, and the three people groups. Yeah. This idea that that if I receive a letter mm -hmm. uh, from a person, there's going to be information in that letter that's particularly for me. Like yeah. they're going to say things that that I'm going to understand that maybe other people wouldn't understand as well. And and they're going to be asking things of me that, that those are requests for me and not for someone else. And But if you were to take that letter you couldn't read that letter as for you right, right right which is a problem that a lot of christians have is that they want to take letters that are clearly for say the hebrews mm -hmm. um uh, or for the jewish people and christians want to take those and rob those away from them which puts us puts us in danger of of practicing what we refer to as replacement theology right yeah. right and I, I think that what we have to do is understand that some of the bible is written principally for us so mm -hmm. like these are these are good things to understand right right so uh leviticus is a great example of this yeah because if you want to know what it takes to get close to god go read leviticus and there it is step by step by step by right. step what i hopefully should take away is man unless Unless God does something on my behalf, how could I? Right, right. That's that's the reason that I can nerd out on Leviticus. Right, but from a practical perspective, you know, a book like Romans, that's going to give me instruction for doctrine mm -hmm. for the church. And so, when we're looking at Scripture, one of the things that we want to establish in our brain is, well, who is this written to? Right. And once we start understanding, oh, okay, well, the the first five books of Moses probably aren't written to me as instructive, as uh, prescriptive, but principally speaking, there's a lot of good yeah. lessons that we can learn. That can inspire my walk with Christ daily. Absolutely. Yeah. So when, when we're reading scripture, the question that we're asking first to establish context, which is just crucial, just crucial. Yeah. Who is this written to? And so when I open up a book like, um, uh, you, well, you mentioned Hebrews. Mm-hmm. 
it's probably written in the Hebrews mm-hmm. because it's the letter to the Hebrews. Right. And so when I read it, I go, great, this isn't written to me. There's good stuff here to get from it. Right. But I need to be very mindful of the fact that the author had a specific audience in mind. Mm-hmm. When we look at books like Romans through Philemon, those are books that are written to the church, to the church in Rome. Well, great. Right. Hey, that's my team. This is awesome. So now I have a book that's that's written to me and I, and I know how to apply it. Mm-hmm. We have books like... Um, actually, Obadiah has some stuff written specifically dealing with Gentiles. Right. And so when we understand that there are three different people groups in Scripture, it doesn't mean that we're throwing away portions of Scripture. We're just properly contextualizing all of Scripture because yeah. we know who goes where. And that's important to know because it's a lens by which we can see dispensations. Mm-hmm. So it's like another um, overlay, if yeah. you will. So I can be looking, obviously all of the word of God is profitable for me, mm-hmm. right? For doctrine, for instruction. But um, there are gonna be certain things that apply specific to my dispensation and specifically to my people group. And you know, it's like when you hear um, like a dad in the neighborhood when you're a kid, like a dad or a mom yell, um, you took notice, yeah. right? Like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're calling out for Johnny. Mm-hmm. You you heard that, but not the way you heard it when it was your mom yes. or your dad. There was yeah. a particular tone oh, and voice, and it. And I think the same thing is true with scripture. Like you can take note of everything that's there. It is profitable for you, but there are going to be certain things that are highlighted, accentuated, and they're going to redound specifically yes. to your life. Yes, it's 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 going to sound very very loud and very different. Yes, yeah. And another way of looking at that, and I think this is important for us to note as we as we go into uh, the last dispensation, when we, when we get to the point where we're talking about the millennium, explain to me from the church age perspective mm-hmm. and the three people groups that you've already talked about, why is the conversation about the differences between the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and, and kingdom of heaven relevant to the people groups and the next dispensation? Sure. So the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are two kingdoms that are mentioned in the Bible and talking about the different people groups, specifically as it relates to like the book of Matthew, which is just a very Jewish book. Like mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't take a page of getting into it to realize, oh, wait, we start with the genealogy. Why does this matter? Because Jews are looking for their Messiah. That's why it matters, mm-hmm. and that genealogy matters. Well, the kingdom of heaven, for example, which is a literal physical kingdom, is given to the Jews, and that's also a phrase that's mentioned exclusively in the Gospel of Matthew. Mm-hmm. And so I think God's trying to get our attention about whose kingdom that is and why that's such a big deal. Right. Whereas the kingdom of God, for example, is a kingdom that's mentioned... Uh, in John, which is a book that's not exclusively written from a Jewish perspective. And in John chapter three, you know, Jesus talks about this kingdom being entered into by spiritual birth and all these things that are non-physical about Mm it. Mm -hmm. And we know when we compare scripture with scripture that the kingdom of God is the spiritual kingdom that's at work right now because there are born again believers that are sons of God that are here on this earth doing God's work. Right. But we are not worried about a physical kingdom. That's what God is going to establish from an eschatological perspective, the kingdom of heaven, when he comes back to establish yeah. it himself. Yeah. And so, again, even that is very instructive for me for, well, when I'm supposed to bring about the kingdom, well, which one? Like, there's one I should focus on, and mm-hmm. there's one that, man, I'm going to let I'm going to let Christ take care of that. Yeah. yeah. And this is so important because, it, again, it goes back to the idea of dispensations. Mm-hmm. So when we go back to the Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic timeframes, yeah. 
what we see in the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants is this pr promise, this prophetic promise to set up a physical kingdom mm -hmm. where the nation of Israel wor worships, right? The one true God, yeah. right? And we can see that. And like you said, it's sometimes the uh, the uh, first and second advent, those conversations happen in the same breath, mm -hmm. which is why when Christ came, uh, they missed the boat because they were looking for a Messiah that would establish that kingdom yeah. of heaven. Yeah. And it's also why in Acts chapter one, you have Jesus mm. teaching his disciples, right? Uh, for 40 days about the kingdom of God work, yeah. the spiritual kingdom. I want you to sow this spiritual kingdom, the spiritual message of the gospel to set souls free. I want you to sow that into the hearts of the Jewish people. I want you to go out, I want you to scatter, and I want you to tell everybody about the fact that I'm here. I came to set people free. Tell mm -hmm. them that message. And then they're like, well, what about the kingdom of heaven? Yeah. Right? What about what about the, the kingdom that was promised? And they, even the disciples in that moment, are distinguishing between two different kingdoms. And yet, so many Christians don't make that distinguishment. Yeah. And so many versions of the Bible mm -hmm. uh, fail to yeah. distinguish those things. In fact, what you'll see is that oftentimes the kingdom of heaven will just be altered and changed into the kingdom of God, or or those terms get mixed up yeah. because um, so many theologians. Uh, and and translators have failed uh, to see the significance of the differences between the two. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, from a dispensational perspective, that highlights how important the individual words are. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that we can trust God that if he wrote a book, he put the right words in that book. Yeah. And so if we see heaven and we see God and we just automatically assume that they're the same, you know, go go to a restaurant and order food like that, and let's <laughs> let's see what happens. You'll be disappointed over and over every again. time, man. every time. So now that we understand, uh, you know, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven issue, and we see that uh, there are three people groups, three different audiences, and and God is sometimes talking to them simultaneously, mm -hmm. or or specifically one or the other. Now let's move into the millennium, and why is that significant to everything we've talked about? The seventh dispensation sure. is the millennium. So this is when Jesus comes back and he establishes rulership on the earth. And he's actually ruling with a rod of iron, which is great. Mm -hmm. Everything's perfect. And he says, hey, nations, because they are the stewards, just submit and obey. That's what they have to do. Mm -hmm. And so there are some that do uh, to their benefit and some that won't to their detriment. And then at the end of that, there is, uh, of course, we know Satan is kind of, you know, let loose and goes and deceives the nation. There are actually people after a thousand literal years yeah. of peace and prosperity that right. go, yeah, I'm going to play for the other team now. Yeah. Which, you yeah. you know, I always that always really bothered me. But then the more I thought about it, you've got people being born mm -hmm. that have only ever known the millennium. So you've got procreating converts, yeah, uh, people who accepted Christ in the tribulation. Mm-hmm who are now procreating and their, their offspring have never seen any other age besides the millennium. And it's just like in people's nature to rebel. Yeah. And so by the end of the millennium, you've got generations of people who are rebelling against God and, and they are deceived. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, of course, there's a, there's a judgment. Mm -hmm. And then we go into eternity future, yeah. whatever that's like. And the, the earth itself is scorched and melts and yeah. it's pretty wild. It's all getting burnt. So, just real quick, I want to point something out. Um, 
so because the age of grace and the church age is parenthetical, mm -hmm. you've got a transitionary time period at the front end. Yeah. And then between the age of grace and the millennium, you've got this other transitionary time period that we refer to as the tribulation. Yeah. Um, and we could, you know, we, not in this episode, but we could break that down and really talk about, you know, the, the wrath Mm -hmm. versus the tribulation as a whole, right? Um, but but because the age of grace is parenthetical, you've got really what at the end is, during the tribulation is almost a mosaic yeah. time frame. And so we can almost say that, that that's an age in which uh, the, the um, nation of Israel is being called back from that transition from the mosaic into a messianic perspective Absolutely. it's like it's like this is a second chance yeah. we're right we're right back there into like you know the the acts of the apostles again yeah like you enter into that time frame yeah it's 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 gonna get real supernatural again <laughs> it'll get real supernatural again yeah. yeah for sure so um so now that we've kind of talked about all the dispensations maybe just briefly point out to us again why knowing that is important because uh if you don't have those, like mm -hmm. say you only ascribe to, as MacArthur says, kind of like a five-part dispensation. Mm -hmm. a way, like he doesn't want to be a dispensationalist. He doesn't want to refer to himself as that. But John MacArthur will say, but I, you know, but I do kind of believe in that there's five dispensations. Or yeah. N.T. Wright says something like, I'm not a dispensationalist, but I believe that the Bible unfolds in five acts, mm -hmm. like a play. I'm like, yeah. You mean you mean five divisions, bro? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, you know, it's kind of silly. But but my point is, is why is it? The having those seven is important for us comparing scripture with scripture yeah. and knowing what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. Yeah. So it allows us, and we kind of talked about this, but it allows us to open up the Bible and not have to take anything out of context or make it allegorical. Mm -hmm. It allows us to actually synthesize all of scripture and see that it is one story and that we can understand it just by believing what it says. And again, a lot of other methods just for life. It's it's almost like if you were to go to someone's house and play a board game, and I know that like board games aren't your jam. I've tried, bro. But I'm, I'm still trying, but it's okay. You can use your... Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be mad about you using okay. a boy, board game analogy. Okay. But but Pandemic you like, though. Except I don't really know how to play it, and every time I play it, I feel like I play it wrong. Okay. I win way too easy. Okay. And it doesn't, I feel like I'm missing something. These board games are so complex now. Yeah, they are. But actually, that's a great point. So, okay. so, so, so they are complex, but they come with a rule book. And yeah. if you open up the rule book and read it, then you know how to play the board game. You would think so. Now, here's what happens, though, is that a lot of people have house rules, mm. right? And so they've got like, oh yeah, well on the second term, like we only give like three green cards. Okay. Even though the instructions say give two. Mm. And over time, there's just a lot of house rules. And so that's the boat that I was in is I was learning from a lot of people that played board games, a lot of house rules. Mm. I just didn't understand, well, why do we do this? Oh, because, you know, we're playing this at John's house, but if we were playing it at my house, it'd be different. Mm. And so with a dispensational perspective, the rules are the rules. So it's not my job to make more rules because I want to make the game different or because I want to make a part of it easier. Right. It's my job to understand how is the game played based off of the rules. And if I just read the rules and I read them and I read them and I compare the rules with the rules, as it turns out, I know how to play the game. That's good. So you should play. A game so one thing you need to know about the PS Plus. Okay. 
is that Van has all the best illustrations. He really thinks it through. It's it's very impressive. Um, I need to work on my ability to do that. Um, but okay, so in closing, mm-hmm. you've already made, you know, uh, you've made an intellectual appeal for cla- a classic dispensational perspective. Yeah. But from a, um, you know, from person to person, from mm-hmm. an interpersonal perspective, make an appeal to believers who are maybe only just learning how to read and understand their Bible or people who are listening to this that don't hold to a dispensational perspective. Sure. Uh, you know, what would you say to them in terms of how this impacts their view of scripture, but then as doctrine impacts our lives, sure. which it should, yeah. why is that important? What, what, what might they be missing if they don't approach God's word dispensationally? Yeah. Well, so from a dispensational perspective, you know, we believe that we can open up the Bible and we can understand what it says. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I'm super jazzed about teaching on it in the PS Plus and why it was so exciting for me is not just for the data set. That's great. That's information. And you can nerd off, off, off of that. Mm-hmm. But there is a God that wants to communicate with you, that wants to have a personal relationship with you. Right. And we not only have to listen to him and hear him speak, but understand what he's saying. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of Christians are opening up the Bible and they're hearing the words of God, but they're not understanding what the words of God mean for them personally. Right. And there's something amazing about knowing that God loves everyone and has a very specific way in which he wants to accomplish his mission. And for me personally, that there's a specific way in which to do that If I would open up the word and know, hey, this is what I want you to get here. This is what I want you to get here. Mm -hmm. Because on on the other end, you know, maybe it was someone who, in a weird way, if if, uh, they were looking at something from a different, they were in a different dispensation and they had the great privilege that we do to look forward. Right. They could see, oh man, like, yeah, that's not for me, but isn't it? Isn't it cool to see what God is doing and how he's communicating mm-hmm. and relating? Mm-hmm. So the goal of us breaking down scripture in a scientific way is to get to know the person of God. And so this allows me to do that in a way that I don't violate and don't question yeah. what is God saying yeah, to me? Yeah, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I think the word violate is important too because um, those violations, they, they put us into heresy. And a lot of the world's biggest heresies, like, for instance, um, the, the heretical views that surrounded the Crusades, mm-hmm. which we all, I don't think anybody loves the Crusades. No. Right? You, you read about them, and they seem like a tarnish on, on Christianity, a black spot. Well, the reason that they are is because Christians from that time frame were using, you know, mosaic and davidic perspectives in a kingdom of heaven perspective they weren't Mm -hmm. seeing the bible dispensationally and so they thought well we take we take land and nations and people by force we make converts by force that's what we do and and so that entered into the theology and the dialectic Mm -hmm. um, of believers in that time frame and it was a violation yeah it was a violation and we can clearly see from a dispensational perspective, why that was a violation, yeah. where other people might not be able to see it. They might just say, oh, whoops. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. And and we all kind of understand that there is something that's different about the Old Testament and the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't mean any 
Christian that's not a dispensationalist and also is going to scoff at bacon. Like, right. <laughs> God bless yeah. bacon. Seafood, things oh, like man. that. Yeah, I like I want it. I want it all. I like shrimp. Yeah. Fried shrimp. Yes. Fried shrimp's really good. Oh, Pop- popcorn shrimp. We need we need fried shrimp and Pandemic, the board game. That's wonderful to play. Okay, you're coming over. Let's do that. <laughs> that sounds great. But yeah, no, you're right. I mean, so yeah, I mean, a lot of people would make those divisions, but what about what about other divisions that impact eschatological views, future view, you sure. know, and 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 what what about robbing the promises from the Jewish people that were clearly for them and then like stealing them and robbing them and trying to apply them to the church but not really being able to do that's really clumsy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like um so I guess the appeal is to a more maybe a more perfect way. Yeah. As yeah. Uh, as they, you know, as Apollos heard from Aquila and Priscilla. Yeah. Right? A more perfect way to understand God's word. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm I'm going through the uh, Daniel and Revelation cl- class with Greg Axe and mm-hmm. we were on Daniel 9, which, you know, if from the outside looking in, it's just like, "Oh my gosh." Like Yeah. And Greg's a great teacher and he's like, "Hey, let's just read what it says. Gabriel talking to Daniel." And that 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and thy holy city. Mm-hmm. Daniel, a Jewish man, and his holy city is Jerusalem. Right. And so you're telling me that it's just as simple as thy and thy. And we get that this seven-year tribulation period is is for Jews? Okay. Gotcha. Check. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. No, man, dude, it, it is, it's a game changer. What we're talking about is like just... And so many people don't actually understand it. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully this episode and the PS Plus episodes have helped shed light and introduce people to this concept. Yeah. Hey, man, thanks for hanging out with Dude, me. Dude, thanks for having me, man. You're going to have to come back. I will do it. And I I really do hope that people are hearing this and they're like, oh, yeah, well, I've got to hear more from from what Van uh, has to say and, and, and hear more from the PS Plus from hearing this episode. Yeah. So thanks, bro. Dude, thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us for another episode of The Postscript. And uh, again, this is a Living Faith Bible Institute podcast. And what that means is we're affiliated, associated with LFBI. And we want to invite you to check out the offerings at our Bible Institute. Okay, so uh, learning things like this. Uh, we have a class called Systematic and Dispensational Theology where, where Pastor and Professor Alan Shelby breaks down these concepts in depth. And, uh, and, and, and these things are worth learning because they do impact your Christianity, your walk, and your ability to lead in God's word, to lead other people and to disciple them the right way to rightly divide God's word. It's a crucial aspect of what we're called to do and be as believers. And so we want to invite you to lfbi.org and check out the Bible school, learn about us and and learn about uh, the classes that we offer. And with that, like, subscribe, share these episodes with friends, with family. We want to thank you for joining us and God bless you. We'll see you next week. <laughs>